Hello and welcome to The Age Stage. Good to have your company, a program that looks at the issues and matters concerning older Australians made possible by Aftercare Australasia and also Australian Unity. I'm Brendan Telfer and welcome to this week's edition of The Big Show. This week we take a look at the federal budget in some detail. How does it rate with older Australians? We speak with Janelle Ward from Life Choices. Janelle's just got back from the federal capital and we also tap into the views of Paul Verstige from the CPSA. Plus Ron Haynes from Aftercare Australasia and medical expert Damien Flenley on some amazing research out of the Mayo Clinic in the USA this week where scientists have started to see the first anti-aging drugs at work. Clinical trials have started and these synolytic drugs are promising a revolution. All that and a whole lot more this week on The Age Stage. Stick around. But first up, the budget, and in a moment we'll be speaking to Paul Vestige from the CPSU. He's got some pretty fiery views on uh, what he heard and saw this week out of the federal capital. But I can tell you what, Janelle Ward from Your Life Choices was deep in the lockup this week. She was actually there in Canberra. She joins us on the line. Janelle, welcome for the first time to the age stage. Um, the budget, good news or bad news for older Australians? It's not good news. And I wouldn't call it bad news either, but there's just very little to get excited about. Um, I think that one of the key things that everyone has been clamouring for is an increase in the base rate of the age pension. Well, you know, there was just no thought of that. And there was, and, and you start with, I mean, we've got a lot of, there are a lot of older Australians um, who do receive new start. It's not just for the unemployed. There's nothing in, no increase in that as well. I, I did hear that Josh Rydenberg has belatedly added New Start recipients to the list of people who will get um, the one-off energy, you know, rebate for seventy-five dollars to single. So that, I mean, even that, I mean, that's been added this afternoon. I mean, think about it. I don't know. It just seems to me to have been put together without really due regard for. For everybody, and there was somebody I, I've just heard from somebody um, who's done. He said he was on about twenty-eight thousand. He's got a low. He's got one of the healthcare concession cards. I mean, he's struggling. He's working some time and earning not much. Um, he doesn't even qualify for the seventy-five dollars. So, and it's like, and who knows whether that seventy-five dollars is actually going to be put onto people's energy bills. And anyway, it's a, it's a big bucket of money, but it actually. What does it achieve? Your next energy bill is still going to be bad, particularly you know in our part of the world where you're probably wanting to ramp up the heating. So, it, know, it, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because given the franking credits issue a few months ago and Bill Shorten yeah. getting himself into a little bit of a tangle, you might have thought that the government had a sort of bit of a strategy here. They could have played to the 800,000-odd pensioners in Australia and played a pretty strong hand. I'm surprised that they've sort of ignored it. And I mean, I'm a baby boomer. I mean, us baby boomers, we we have some considerable clout when it, when it comes to a federal election. So it, it surprised me the paucity of um, benefits or sweeteners that have come our way. Is that indicative of the play from the Minister for Aged Care, do you think, and his leverage at Cabinet level? Well, I, I couldn't answer that, really. I mean... It's Ken Wyatt. I mean, I don't know. He comes across as a 
as a reasonably... I, I think he comes across well in what he is doing, but whether he is highly motivated to in his role, I, I don't know. I'm just wondering whether it's the sort of the noisy wheel, you know what I mean? Like at cabinet level, if you can sort of advocate very powerfully, you get the eye and the ear of uh, the treasurer and the PM. On other, in, in other areas, I mean, I think the, the other one that concerns me was the extra funds for um, home care and residential aged care. But, you know, like it was an extra 10,000 places or funds for an extra 10,000 places. When we've got 128,000 people approved on a waiting list, and who knows how many people are on the unapproved part of the waiting list? And look, I mean, 10,000 extra places is great, but wow, gee, it, we're just we're underestimating the demand. Well, we're not underestimating the demand. We know the demand. We're just not able to plug it in. I mean, all these people want to stay at home. They don't want to go into residential care. So, and that's good for everybody. So, why not add, you know, not 10,000 extra places, make it 100,000 extra places. And it is the gov- it's the government's preferred position as well. Not only do we oh, baby boomers want to stay at home as long as possible and probably take a leaf out of the Scandinavians' book, but yeah. uh, at the same time, uh, it seems to be the government's preferred option, yet good, solid, but nothing spectacular for the sector. I mean, I, I saw, you know, wins and losses, and the only win I saw for old Australians in, in some newspaper reports was the $75, and I think, mm, OK, that's underplaying the, uh, the sector somewhat. I mean, there's the superannuation stuff, but that's really for um, people who are still working. I mean, it's, it's, there's an opportunity to put more into super without going over, you know, certain caps. Um choices and Janelle thank you so much indeed for joining us today and if you haven't already you must check out your life choices online it is a fantastic read some amazing sections just go to their highly informative online publication check it out at lifechoices.com.au this is the aid stage we're going to continue our analysis of the federal budget in just a moment with Paul Verstige but first up a little bit of a break we'll be right back with more of the aid stage in just a moment Well, this week, all eyes on Canberra, the federal budget and the impact on older Australians. Very, very important. We've been hearing a lot about it all year. A number of issues. Medicare freezes uh, have not been lifted. The government, however, providing a $187 million increase to increase patient rebates. Budget provides $331 million for new and amended listings on the pharmaceutical benefits scheme and changes to the work test are set to help pre-retirees pump up their superannuation balances, as we've just heard Janelle say. But what about some of the other provisions? And I'm not sure whether Paul Verstige, our friend from the Combined Superannuates Association, is particularly impressed. Paul, what was your reading of the federal budget? Were you happy with it or were you a little concerned? 
yeah, there are a few areas where uh, we would have liked to see some more uh, more action, um, or any action really. Um, you just mentioned uh, in your uh, introduction that uh, that there were that there were ten thousand more home care packages announced in this budget, but in fact uh, that was an announcement uh, made in February. So that's uh, that's uh, that's old an old uh, an old announcement of uh, of ten thousand uh, home care packages. Which are not really new to the budget. It's uh, it's it's old. It's, um, it's, it's it's part of the habit, I suppose, of these days. Treasurers sort of preempting what they're going to say on budget night, and I guess that might fall in that category. Um, but there seems to be some provision there, nevertheless. I don't want to interrupt your train of thought, but um, certainly there does seem to be some money there for the home care packages, which, of course, as we've agreed in the past, is where the government wants to take us. Yes, um, well, that is true. Um, and the government has done a good job of um, of, of pouring forty thousand packages in the last financial year into into the system. Um, <clears throat> that is, you know, that's a significant number. Um, but at the same time, uh, the, the the waiting list is not really reducing to to anywhere near where you could say, look, you know, um, it's understandable that we've got uh, that that amount of people uh, waiting. Um, there needs to be. There's, there's, there's a need for more action, and uh, this budget would have been a good opportunity to uh, to show people that uh, if if this government is returned in May, that it would actually um, follow through um, with solving that crisis. Well, I must say your comments, uh, which you uh, published in a media release uh, uh, earlier on this week, certainly getting stuck into the government. Um, in one of the paragraphs I, I read, in aged care, the government keeps pandering to the nursing home industry by continuing to pour nursing home places into the system rather than on making sure the demand of home care packages is satisfied. Pretty heavy hitting. Um, that is true, but it is uh, the, it's backed up by the figures. Um, <clears throat> there is currently an overcapacity in um, in nursing home places. Uh, there is an overcapacity of about twenty thousand places. Uh, Ninety thousand people have um, nursing home approval. They could go into a nursing home if they wanted to, but um, that list is not producing. In other words, those twenty thousand places are sitting there um, and uh, are continue to be vacant. So, um, so what what is the explanation? Why are they vacant? Why aren't people going into nursing home care? You think because because they also have approval for a home care package, and they would far, um, you know, that really prefer to be staying at home rather than going to a nursing home. That's why they're not taking it up. Uh, nursing home homes are becoming sort of a last resort. But my point in that paragraph was that. Um, at, at, a, at a time that there is already overcapacity in uh, in the nursing home um, industry, um, the the government keeps creating more nursing home places. In other words, they are increasing overcapacity in the residential aged care sector, the nursing homes, um, and they are also doing something about home care packages. But there, there is an actual undersupply. So our argument would be is to give um, creating nursing home places a rest for a while until the home care packages uh, part of the uh, the industry catches up. I just wonder that whether the government might be justifying itself in the sense that uh, as we get older, it's provisioning for nursing home places uh, because inevitably, despite the home care packages and emphasis, they will be needed. 
Um, well, it's true, but um, the need for nursing homes, uh, that's really, that's really um, a bit unrealistic. Uh, when you really look at countries where they've, they've made a conscious effort to switch um, um, the, um, the, the aged care to, to home care, um, in, in Denmark, for example, there's only about 5% of uh, people um, in aged care who are who are in a nursing home? Um, you know, it's really the worst cases. People that can't move anymore that that that, that really need twenty four hour care. The rest of them are, are cared for at home. Indeed, so, uh, indeed, we've seen the Dutch in that area as well, Paul, and uh, they also were sort of trying to pioneer this home care packages, uh, much like the Scandinavians. Um, um, interesting, yeah. interesting that you say that. And just a reminder that you tuned up to the Age Stage broadcasting from studios here. In Melbourne at RPPFM, we're speaking to Paul Vestige, who's policy manager for the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association, after their uh, media release this week on and also discussing the budget with Paul. So, home care package is then obviously a, a cause of some alarm for you and this emphasis on this um, nursing home industry. Um, vested interests, a powerful lobby group, what's the explanation? Um, I think you've named them, yes. Um, the, uh, the nursing home industry is, is, is uh, quite profitable. Um, the, uh, it is really a real estate business, and um, the, um, you know, the providers in that industry are making a stand and putting pressure on the government to, um, to, to make places available um, uh, to them so that they can build more nursing homes and fill them up. And, of course, um, if, uh, if the Home Care Packages Programme is not delivering the supply that is needed, inevitably people who, who can't get home care are going to end up in a nursing home. Um, and that is uh, really sad. So there seem to be three major themes in your rebuttal of the, the budget. The next of them is New Start, and you have yes. serious concerns, and you've mentioned this on the program in the past, about people being held in sort of neo-poverty while they try and uh, work the best they can out of New Start. Absolutely. I've mentioned that before, uh, 185,000 people on New Start that are uh, aged over 55 probably won't work again. Um, and New Start, I, I, I just remind uh, listeners that um, it's, it's fifteen thousand dollars for a, for a single uh, on, on New Start, uh, and you have to pay everything uh, uh, out of that money. Uh, very difficult to survive. I wouldn't describe it as near poverty. It is it is poverty in a in a in a very rich country. Um, it's the agreement, um, not just in the community sector, but also in. Um, in the business sector, that new start is inadequate and is actually um, the inadequacy of the payment is actually contributing to people not being able to get back into the workforce. Um, you know, there is just unanimity in, in, in both the community sector and the business sector that new start needs to be significantly increased, um, not just to benefit those people that are on it, but um, the 
country in general. Yes, it's it's an interesting, it's a great dilemma for many, many people. As you mentioned, 185,000 people trying or getting there. Um, we spoke to uh, Professor Ong from Western Australia, Curtin University, late last year about the poverty trap, which is going to be afflicting more and more people, especially given that uh, they're going to have to try and leverage off of the family home and or real estate. And if there's going to be a substantial adjustment in real estate in Australia, then a lot of people are going to be in a very difficult place in the next few years, according to some of the stats. That's one of the observations. The next major observation that you make in retort or reply to the government is this uh, notion of universal oral and dental health. You're very wide that the budget really is not provisioning well there for those that are getting into and or are retired. Yes. um, uh, We currently have state and territory-based public oral health schemes, which... um, uh, are, are not well funded at all. And um, for example, in, in, in New South Wales, we're based in New South Wales, so I know that uh, that situation best. Um, the public health, uh, the public dental scheme does not do checkups um, because it simply does not uh, have the capacity to do that. So that means it only deals with acute uh, problems um, and, and basically it's sometimes referred to as the... Um, as the, as the tooth removal um, uh, service. Basically, people who are dependent on that, if they get into trouble, uh, they, they will not be seen to until um, their, their teeth need, need to be extracted. And it's, Sorry, Paul. And we've also seen in the past as well, um, we must, uh, of course, observe that in the past, in previous programs, we've seen a correlation between uh, poor oral and dental health and also other uh, problems, mental health problems as well. Yes. Um, the, uh, uh, the bad oral health, <clears throat> and um, that can include people who have no teeth at all uh, in, in nursing homes. We, we go back to nursing homes there. Um, can, can affect your, um, your your physical health. Can give you heart attacks. Uh, it can lead to pneumonia, and um, and and all sorts of um, you know de- depressive problems, mental health issues because of uh, social embarrassment and social isolation that arises from people who um, who, who who have poor dental health. Um, <clears throat> it is it is a huge problem, and it's it's a real shame that it has not. Uh, that dental health has not been included in, in Medicare, that it was uh, simply agreed that, uh, that that it wasn't necessary. And, we, you know, we're paying the price now. If you, uh, if, if you walk around um, uh, the city um, in, in, the, in the low-income part, it's very obvious um, what uh, damage the lack of a public health system, uh, public dental health system, uh, is doing. Well, we're speaking to Paul Verstige here, who's policy manager at the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association, just reflecting on the budget earlier on this year. We were talking in the second of your observations about New Start and the fact that uh, it's basically driving a number of people into poverty, if not near poverty. Uh, and the other issue that you mentioned as well is, and as we also alluded in previous programs here at the aid stage, this notion of homelessness and indebtedness as people are moving into retirement. Um, all sorts of problems there, and you are very, very concerned about the implications going forward for life rough sleeping in the big cities and older and older demographics getting caught up in this um, terrible, vicious cycle. 
Yes, um, homelessness is, is, is on the rise. Anybody that lives in a capital city um, would have noticed that over the years more and more people sleep rough and of course that's just the tip of the iceberg. There is a, there's a lot more hidden homelessness of people who move from shelter to shelter, couch to surf, um, all the people living in, um, in cars. Um, it, it is really a... Um, um, Something that 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 results from the abandonment of social housing um, uh, in, um, in in the early 2000s. Um, we in Australia had a very good social housing uh, program from the 1950s uh, that has basically been defunded to the point where uh, states and territories can only put people who are in dire need um, in, into social housing. And sometimes even they uh, fall in between the cracks, and uh, and and that's what you see on the street. Well, this is a very um, dire assessment by you and your organisation of the federal budget. Do you have any political affiliation, Paul? No, we don't. We are non-party political, um, uh, so we we don't speak for for any any party. We we just call the issues as we see it, um, and I, I have to. Sort of, well, I have to. I, I'd like to point out that, um, particularly on the issue of aged care, there is a lot of um, a lot of consensus. For example, the the uh, the, the aged care writer for the Australian, which is not noticed, not, not uh, uh, noted for its affiliation with, with progressive politics, um, he he totally agrees with the CPSA point of view that nursing homes are horrible places and that home care packages uh, are not made available in sufficient measure. So my, my point is we, we, we look at the issues and, and call them as they are. Um, and it, it just happens that this budget, which is praised by some economists for, um, uh, for its, for, for its uh, solid, um, solid performance, um, does not address those issues, and we think they should have been well, the issue once again then is it down to the pensioners to organise themselves into some sort of political grouping or some sort of pressure group that can exert pressure on the government, whether it's in power or the shadow government, to try and redress and address some of these issues. Um, well, there are there are a number of uh, serious parties in Australia. Um, they tend not to be all that uh, effective because um, if if you um, create a party where the common denominator is, uh, is age, old age, or advancing age, um, it, you ignore the fact that um, older people have a variety of views. So you don't create um, a, a pressure block. You you create basically a, um, a debating society. And I, I think that's why um, those parties that uh, that are based on, on, uh, on age have not all been all that um, successful thus far. Um, but let's not you know, discount the uh, the power of all the people. We we did get a royal commission into into aged care, and uh, that has been as the result of uh, sustained uh, campaigning by groups such as CPSA, but also other groups. Um, and um, uh, that is in itself a good a good result. Uh, the uh, aged care royal commission will produce a report. And um, its recommendations will uh, 
whether they are adopted straight away or not, um, they will carry weight far into the future. Paul Vestige, Policy Manager for the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association. Thank you very much indeed, Paul, for your insights. We appreciate them very much indeed here on The Age Stage. Thank you. My pleasure. This is The Age Stage on RPPFM. Great to have your company, of course, sponsored by Australian Unity and Aftercare Australasian. Speaking of Aftercare Australasia, Warren Haynes is here to talk to us again today. And Warren, I was most interested, when we last spoke, of course, we were talking about technology and its influence and impact in future generations. I'd like to hold that thought for a moment. But as we've just been hearing from our friend Paul Vestige at the CPSA, the uh, Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association up in New South Wales, some pretty biting and pretty thorough analysis of the federal budget this year. A couple of areas that I was interested in, and I'm sure you pricked your ears up as well. One was his indication, or my suggestion, that it was a pretty good budget in the sense of its provision for those that are interested in home care packages. But of course he corrected me and said in fact that that provision had already been made prior to the federal budget. Part of this process, I guess, of where the Treasurer is these days like detailing ahead of time what they're going to announce. Um, what was your take from what happened this week as far as the budget was concerned. Were you happy for your sector? Well, not particularly, I guess. I mean, certainly there are some initiatives that are being funded in the aged care space that I think are positive. But but really, even if there are 10,000 more places being released, and um, from what you're saying, I mean, I've only I've only looked at the you know the headlines that have come out of it. So, if the detail of that's actually not you know correct, then that's an even bigger issue. But even if it is correct, it's ten thousand out of a waiting list that's well over a hundred thousand people. And from what I can gather, it seems to be uh, almost you know growing every day. Um, I was speaking to someone uh, earlier this week who was saying that their um, their family member's been on the waiting list and you can you can go onto the waiting list or you can ring up and find out you know what's the estimated length of time that you're going to be waiting before you get offered a package and they said that they've been on the waiting list I think for a level 3 package for something in the order of about 18 months and in that time the average wait time for a level three package has got longer and longer and longer. Uh, And so that strongly suggests that the waiting list itself is growing. So 10,000 as a headline figure sounds very impressive, but in actual fact, it's less than 10%. Well, that's it. And uh, basically, you know, again, as you probably heard, he was really quite uh, dismissive of the government and the fact that it sort of seems to be propping up the nursing home industry, which he says is oversubscribed anyway, and that this area, the home care packages, is what we all want Mm. in terms of how we provide for ourselves. And again, mention the European examples, particularly the Danes and to a degree the Dutch as well, where there's only 5% of the retirement sector or demographic in nursing homes. Everybody else stays at home. We want that. Uh, It seems to be the government wanting it as well, yet they seem to be throwing the money into this other sector. Mm. Why aren't they getting the message and why isn't more money going into the or or solving this home care package issue? Look, obviously I can't can't, uh, speak for government, but it doesn't make any sense to an impartial outside observer. Uh, It's cheaper. (laughs) It's substantially cheaper. 
um, then so so home care is substantially cheaper in terms of the results that it delivers than than um, residential aged care. Uh, so you basically get a lot more bang for your buck. But also, as you're rightly pointing out, that's where the pent-up demand is. There isn't this enormous pent-up demand for people looking for nursing homes. There may be in some specific locations um, where there is a, you know, a, 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 a localised shortage. But overall, uh, my experience has been whenever people are looking for a residential uh, aged care place they, and they've got the money, they generally don't have any difficulty finding a suitable place. So why can't this be converted into some sort of pressure on, on, on the government, which again is something that I said to Paul there at the end of the interview. Why aren't the pensioners getting together and put, exerting some serious pressure? And why aren't you, as a home care provider, able to put leverage on the government and say, listen, the people want what we have, not what they're providing? Well, look, I, I suppose <laughs> the... The short answer is there's there's a lot less money in in home care packages than there is in uh, residential aged care, and that's because of the the real estate side of you know the way that residential home care works. So it's driven largely by investors looking for that sort of bricks and mortar type of um, place to park their money, with you know the cream on top being then you've got a subsidised flow of income coming through that. Whereas home care packages as a, as a business, um, they're not as resource and capital intensive. Um, they're very much all about people that you employ and how you sort of get them out into the community providing the support. And you don't have that sort of infrastructure. So it's a, it's a very different market. And unfortunately, because it doesn't bring these, you know, multi, multi-million dollars of, of investment... It therefore, as a lobby group, is nowhere near as effective because money seems to count at, at the federal level in terms of getting your voice heard. Can you put some figures on it? I mean, how much of this industry do you guys account for in the home care package area as opposed to, say, nursing homes and retirement villages? Well, look, I, I haven't looked at the figures Roughly. recently, but um, I think even a few months back I was referring to how when you look at the, the funding, it's, you know, in terms of how much funding goes into uh, home care versus how much funding in general goes into residential aged care. About uh, twice as much funding goes into residential aged care as goes into home care at the moment. Uh, so, it's so, quite out of proportion. So then the question is, why can't the retirees put some pressure on the government and say, this is the package that we want? I mean, why aren't they organising themselves and letting the government know in no uncertain terms that it's home care where everybody seems to want to go. I, I think that's very much where the pressure needs to come from because uh, the, the real thing that, that retirees have going for them is that they vote, <laughs> essentially. That's their, and there's 800,000 plus of them. Exactly. They're a significant part of the Australian population and they're only going to grow. So are they organising themselves? Do you know? Well... No, look, from what I can see, it, it really is, is a space that needs a lot more work done in it. I think there is there is a growing realisation. I, I think that as the baby boomers sort of move through in their demographic, move through into that retirement age, there'll be an increasing level of sort of outspokenness. One of the, one of the things that sort of hamstrung the retirees, and I'm, I'm grossly generalising yeah, here. I have well, to we, sort of we, qualify we, yeah, that. Yeah, we are, we are. Uh, but it's just an interesting discussion. I'm just we, 
what what we what we see, what I've seen in my years of uh, working in the field, is that the current sort of particularly the older generations because it's not just retirees that are looking at um, home care packages and and aged care residential aged care in particular it's people that are 70 years and plus so it's it's not your sort of new retirees as such it's people that are in their 70s and in particular in their 80s once you get over that 80 85 years of age there's an increasing frailty that comes even for people that are in reasonably good health and that's when they start finding these gaps where they need a little bit more support to stay living independently. Um, so it's that end of the sort of retiree section that we're, that we're talking about. And unfortunately, that generation has, you know, traditionally been very stoic and very reluctant to complain. And, and that's been my experience. You'd go out and see clients, Brendan, who, who would, you know, they'd say, oh, well, you know, and how are you going? They'd say, oh, well, you know, look, it's not quite what I'd like, but it's, it's not too bad. And, I, you know, this person's very nice. They're not quite doing the job the way I want them to, but they're very nice and I don't want to say too much about it. And I think that's been the mindset and that's where I think the baby boomers are going to really shake that up because they don't have that mindset at all. They're, you know, this is what I want and I want it now and, and, and if you can't give it to me, I want you to give me a very good reason why you can't give it to me. So change is coming down I the line. I think so. I think so. Change is coming. Um, we're going to take a little bit of a break, Warren, if I may, and just remind you that we're speaking to Warren Haynes who, of course, uh, is representing Aftercare Australasia today. Um, and when we come back, we want to resume a conversation that we alluded to a couple of weeks ago, which was basically technology in this area as well. Uh, very interesting. We'll take a break and we'll be back with more of the Age Stage in just a moment. You're a bugger when, we put, when you put me on the spot for figures because I don't have a good memory well, for that sort it of doesn't, stuff. It doesn't, but it's good. I mean, even yeah, in general, right. I just think it's just a very, int- yeah. uh, thematically, I just think yeah. it's a really interesting yeah. discussion. It's, it's completely out of kilter. Yeah, it's totally. It really is. <laughs> This is the Age Stage on RPPFM. Great to have your company this Thursday morning. Remember, we're coming to you live from the Bendigo Bank Studio. We uh, thank the Bendigo Banks very much for their support of us here, our community radio station down here on the Mountain Peninsula, and also, of course, Australian Unity and How Can We Go Past Aftercare Australasia, who uh, are talking with us at the moment. Juan Haynes from Aftercare Australasia is in. He drops by every couple of weeks and has a bit of a natter to us here on the Age Stage. Before the break, we were just sort of discussing generally uh, a reaction to the federal budget, but uh, we had alluded to a couple of weeks ago about talking about technology in this particular sector. The Japanese, Warren, in terms of aged care, uh, home care, are very much into this space, into this space. Uh, the robotics, uh, the intervention, the medical intervention as well. Um, what are you seeing and where do you think the future is as far as technology and this sector is concerned? Mm, okay. Well, look, I think one of the things that we need to highlight is that obviously the, the living conditions and circumstances in Australia are quite different to what you find in Japan. Because we're such a spread out population, um, so, you know, Melbourne's geographic area is, you know, probably the size of every single major city in, in Japan combined, even though it would have a fraction of the population. So we're just so spread out. It, it brings with it certain challenges, but that, that's where technology, even for people that are wanting to remain living at home, um, can give some tremendous advantages. So particularly with the well, with the, the promise of the rollout of the NBN, so I guess some of this remains to be seen, but with those higher speeds, it's really opening up the doors to um, some quite sophisticated technology such as um, remote 
health monitoring where um, they've this has been in place for a couple of years now. Well, well Telstra are offering this already, in, with, and especially with the rollout of the 5G as well, of course, there'll be a, a mm. much greater and a higher amount of data being transferred between the home and, of course, the providers such as, say, for instance, yourselves, but man-down technology and stuff like this where basically there are these alerts geolocating. Mm. If a person is not responding adequately, the alarms go off and help can be called in immediately. Mm. There's also quite a bit of technology that's a bit lower tech than that, but it can just give people a little bit of peace of mind. There's been quite a bit of tension around monitoring, um, remote monitoring um, systems between maintaining the person's privacy, uh, balancing that against the, um, the, their safety and, and obviously the interest of family members who, who are often interstate or some considerable distance away. And so fairly recently there's been development around technologies that have uh, where you place a number of sensors uh, throughout the house, uh, and those sensors don't give you, you know, they don't, they don't have a camera in them or anything like that, but they just detect whether there's movement and activity in certain rooms. And that gives a very basic sort of uh, indication of a pattern of somebody's activity across the day. And I suppose at a really basic level, it shows that the person's up and about um, as opposed to you know in bed so so that can that could prompt a, a call from from a, a family member going oh hi mum you know i can see that you've slept in today is everything okay oh well actually you know i'm feeling a bit under the weather i might be coming down with a cold um so those sort of fairly basic level monitoring can be quite a powerful tool but it's done in a way that that is not disclosing um, personal information so, so, so yeah so is it imparting stuff like biometrics and the information like no, it's not that sophisticated. But should it not be, though? I mean, really, if you go into a hospital or a nursing home or some sort of medical facility, they're, they're taking all those biometrics off you. Why can't you do it in your own home if you, if you sort of sign off on disclosure or if you have some sort of a template which is going to monitor that information and where it ends up? Yeah, look, certainly I think for people that have specific health conditions, um, it offers them an opportunity to be able to return home and stay in the home environment rather than having to be in hospital purely to be monitored. So there are some steps around that. So for instance, people that wear um, heart monitors these days, the the um, style of that that people would be more familiar with is, you know, you've got a little device that yep. sit, clips onto your belt and sits on your hip and you have to sort of lug that around for a day or two and then take it in to be um, interpreted by your um, specialist or your GP. These days, those are the sorts of things they're starting to roll out where it is actually streaming that information or um, saving it and then transmitting it as a, as a package of data to, to a medical professional who can then um, basically advise you whether you need to come back for a follow-up appointment or not or just simply arrange for the equipment to be returned. So, so Aftercare Australasia, who you represent here, of course, mm-hmm. I mean, what is your thinking going ahead in terms of your home care packages? Are you scoping this sort of technology? I mean, it might not be next year or the year after, but as you look ahead into the future, are you thinking that there might be some devices and some technology that could be available to assist you in the types of care and the levels of care particularly um, as we move forward? Look, I I think that there um, is a place for it, but it's always, in my opinion, it's always going to be a mix. I think I've said, um, you know, the last time we were we were on this topic, that it's still very hard for technology to replace 
the um, the range of complexity that a person can uh, provide in terms of support, personalised support. Um, but I think as something that supplements that and extends it, it's got a very, very useful role to play. Um, so, I mean, and again, I'll say to you, it often doesn't have to be that complicated. I came across a device um, just the other day, fantastic thing, um, which which is just a clock you know it's nothing more complicated than a clock but it's a digital clock comes in a picture frame and it tells you not only the time it tells you the day the date it tells you whether it's morning or afternoon um but which which again doesn't sound like a lot but for someone who's got very mild cognitive impairment uh it just helps that person keep orientated as to where they are in the day and what's coming next but it's also got a very simple feature that you can set um, up to five reminders a day for the clock to actually speak to prompt the person to take medication. Now, we do quite a bit of that sort of um, personal support where we've got someone saying, look, can a carer just pop in for half an hour just to remind mum to take her tablets? She's usually pretty good. 90% of the time she remembers to do it, but there'll just be the odd time when she's a bit distracted. So. Uh, it, it doesn't take much imagination to see how something as simple as a clock like that could be just developed a little bit further and and essentially replace that sort of a you know what we'd be charging half an hour to visit and i have to say we'd be happy to see that go because half hour visits are a bit of a pain Brendan. well i can imagine <laughs> but i mean you know it would be very interesting i think probably very easy for the type of technology that we're talking about now and glimpsing now as well that the biometrics the reading the information would be very easy for this machinery and these add-ons these wearing gadgets that we could get the issue i guess is probably going to come back to the sort of facebook type discussions we're having at the moment about who, who what, was. how, and yes. sees this information yes. and how we get it to you, the carer, mm. uh, without compromising the safety and the integrity. Yeah. And the... I, I think they are the big issue. The big issues are who owns it mm. and how do you keep it secure. One other really simple thing that I'll, I'll just mention, I think we touched on this the other, uh, the other week. We were talking about companion animals. And there is actually, it's becoming far more common now for people to have this quite amazing um, companion pet which is, a, which is a robotic pet, incredibly lifelike and quite responsive to uh, people interacting with them. So, you know, if you touch them or pat them, they'll turn and if you speak, they'll turn, the head will turn and look at you. You pat them, they, you know, if it's a cat, then the, the tail starts flicking around and uh, they'll start purring if you pat them repeatedly. And these sorts of devices, you sort of get a lot of the benefits of having a pet. Uh, without much of the uh, the complications that come, you know, vet bills and toilet training and all the rest of that. Well, once again, the Japanese are well advanced down here. I mean, they're really into it. This sort but of stuff. It, that's widely available now in Australia, um, which is which is just terrific. I, I was speaking to someone the other day who's um, got a good friend of theirs who owns one, and they were they were attesting to how astonishingly lifelike they actually are. Yes. It's amazing. Mm. Uh, Warren, thank you very much indeed for dropping by. Interesting days, and we're sort of glimpsing a little bit of the future here. And uh, again, thank you very much indeed for your summary on the uh, 2019 federal budget this week as well. It's been most interesting. And interesting to see, again, where the government is trying to place its money and where its policies perhaps should be and maybe where we're not getting the type of emphasis mm. that we require at the moment. But um, we'll see what the pushback is in coming days. But mm. thank you for your analysis. Appreciate it.
Just a reminder that you tuned up to RPPFM. This is The Age Stage, and Warren Haynes, of course, from Aftercare Australasia, joins us every other week here on the program. When we come back, we're going to be speaking to our medical expert, Damien Friendly. There's been some amazing research done this last week and details coming out of the Mayo Clinic in the USA. Scientists, they believe they're seeing the first signs of anti-aging drugs. Does it mean that we can live to 120, 140 and still feel like a 50 or 60 year old? The implications are quite amazing. All that with Damien right after this break. You tuned up to RPPFM. This is the Age Stage on RPPFM. Great to have your company here at RPPFM. Of course, made possible by our friends at Australian Unity and Aftercare Australasia. Well, some extraordinary research results this week um, released by the Mayo Clinic in the USA. In short, scientists there believe they've seen the first possible signs of anti-aging drugs at work in human trials. And this now has significant implications for other diseases, um, not only anti-aging, but also diabetes, cancer, arthritis, and also importantly, heart disease as well. So I figured it would be very important for us to get to our resident age stage resident medical expert in to join us. Damien Flenley has dropped by the Bendigo Bank studio. Damien, welcome. Uh, good morning, listeners. Morning. Um, Damien, thank you very much indeed. So is this as exciting and does it have the excitement that, that we, we should be viewing it with? Is it, is it really happening? Well, look, it's still early stages, but Mayo Clinic is uh, a world-renowned facility that is showing some amazing results with regards to these uh, senolytic sort of cells that you mentioned. Um, it's amazing to see where it's going. So senolytic cells are basically a broad-spectrum cell which they're throwing into the human body. Now, if I'm reading the research properly, what they do is they go and clean up the debris, which is the result of the division of our cells as we age. They go in, clean it all out, and basically restore the cells and the process to its normal younger self well it stops those maturing cells from becoming degenerative or, or creating uh, breaks in the cycle where they can have falsities in code and they can cause further problems hence the reason the degradation and aging process so in effect it's basically stopping the aging process in rats and mice and uh, it's going to be very exciting to see how it develops into the human population well they reckon the Mayo Clinic reckon they've already got some human people in there already having a little bit of a test out so let me get this right there so the senolytics work, they're broad spectrum. So for instance, we take Alzheimer's. Theoretically in Alzheimer's, what we're seeing is in the human brain, the buildup of plaque and some proteins. Yes, the amyloid sort of proteins building up and reducing that regenerative pathways that normally occur naturally in the body. And the ability of those cells in the brain to be able to communicate, therefore, because all this plaque and debris build up. So the senolytics go in and basically just vacuum this stuff out of there. Well, I guess they actually prevent it from getting to that degenerative stage. It's putting a block in that process early in the piece of regeneration so that those cells don't ever get old. They basically keep getting regenerated early in the process rather than getting to that maturing or, or detrimental age phase where they can actually deteriorate. My dear old Nana used to tell me that uh, here on this good earth we can expect to live three score and ten that's what we used to believe but these days with the current technology and obviously the immunotherapies we've got with cancer therapy the current breakthroughs with medication for cardiac disease let alone as you suggest with alzheimer's and other you know these maturing diseases that are constantly obsessing in our western society um there is opportunity out there to live for a lot longer if i'm 120 though what sort of quality of life am i going to get but theoretically with the senolytics I'm going to be 
a very sprightly 120-year-old. Well, we do, we're still more older people in the centenarians in our current day and age than what we have for many, many generations. And that's purely because we're eating healthy lives, we're looking after our body, and there's generous opportunity now for real, real progress in continuing that life and that maturity and education and experience forever in a day. So the, the fundamentals still exist, though, if we are getting to that age, we've got to sort of basically guard against uh, or ensure good health, eating, exercise, perhaps uh, a foreign language as well, and a musical instrument are going to put us in a good place. But if we're going to get the pharmaceuticals that are assisting that as well, um, the impact could be quite prodigious. Indeed, especially for our ageing population, we can barely contain the population growth we have. Imagine if we uh, didn't pass away and we continued to develop even further. So for societies like, say, Japan, where they've got a, a very uh, an ageing population, this has got some significant implications because theoretically the workforce can stay effective longer. We're already knocking the uh, retirement age out to late 60s and 70s, perhaps we're glimpsing. So all of a sudden now, with um, our good lifestyle and our pharmaceuticals, we're going to be a lot more efficient and productive a lot longer. Well, look, on the peninsula, we're very lucky to have nearly 1,600 aged or retirement home village beds in our current facility. Imagine if they were all productive in the community space. It would be amazing to see what we can achieve. It would be. It would be incredible. It's going to have to mean a whole lot of, uh, well, the the implications politically, socially as well, and the way we live and the way we organise and look forward to our lives are dramatically questioned here as well. But... This uh, is, a, is amazing. So essentially what the Mayo Clinic is saying, that they think that they're on the verge of being able to do widespread clinical tests. Yeah, they're reaching into stage three and stage four phase trials, which means those human endeavours where we can bring it to a larger population of people um, and then test out those results in a, in a broader spectrum of population. So it's going to be exciting to see what those end results will be. It may take a few years to get to, uh, you know, available on your chemist shelf, but it's definitely something to watch out for and continue to see in the future. Does that mean we could be having a conversation like this in another 50 years, Damien? We could still be here. <laughs> we could still be here doing the same. Banging out the the age stage. <laughs> Why not? Love your work. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Damien Flenley dropping by talking to us today on the age stage. Damien, thank you very much indeed. All the best to the peninsula. Damien Flenley, thank you very much indeed and thank you for your company on the age stage today. Can I thank our guests today, Janelle Ward, who joined us uh, from uh, Your Life Choices. Also, Paul Vestige from the CPSA, the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association in New South Wales. We also uh, were joined today in the studio by Warren Haynes of uh, Aftercare Australasia. Always great to catch up with Warren. He'll be back in a couple of weeks as well. And Damien Flenley today dropped by as well to give us his insights into that amazing research out of the Mayo Clinic in the USA. Thank you very much indeed for your company. As I said, we'll be back in seven days' time with the next edition of The Aid Stage. Stay well and see you then. <laughs>